The earth quakes and the heavens tremble. It's time to awaken a god in Dimogen. Welcome back to the Monsters vs. Men podcast, the bargain basement of the Monster Podcasting Airwaves and the God Monster Podcasting Airwaves. Mm-hmm. This week, as we try to stay alive, Alex, we're discussing Dimogen, the first of the three films that we will discuss of this mini series. You got the box set, didn't you? I did. It's oh, beautiful. Man. Oh, man. I kind of want it. You better track it down. Uh, I don't know. I it don't won't know. be around for long if it's anything like that Gamera set. No, that's true. That is true. That's but... the only reason I got it, honestly, oh, no. um, was because I was like, there's a chance this thing probably won't be around for long. Yeah. I don't know. I might. I, I might. But I honestly really, I don't. The, the Gamera movies are like the only movies <laughs> I've bought in. 10 years. You still haven't gotten the Criterion Collection for Godzilla, have you? No, I have not. <laughs> you need to get that. I really do. I no, love those movies. People hate on that for no reason. I'm sorry. Like I know they want like improved quality on everything or whatever and yeah. all this other BS, but you know, that's, that's good. It's awesome. I like, yeah. I like looking at just the art on it sometimes. Yeah, I'm just like reading about the, the stuff. It's got enough stuff on it. Yeah. It's got plenty of value there. People just, people are just never happy. That's <laughs> true. It's true. I, you know what? It's true. I, I, that's not my hang up. I just, you know, I'm just a cheap wad. So, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I, I mean, yeah, I need to get that. I'm going to put that on my birthday list slash Christmas list this you year. You said that last year. It was what? on my list and no one got it for me. <laughs> <laughs> Is Neely in the room and you're staring at her while you said no, this? No, she's not. But but no one got it for me, man. <laughs> Eric, I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I was going to, but I was like, I'm worried like Eric's grandma might get it for him. <laughs> no, dude, people, people don't, people don't want to spend that money. They like on like Godzilla movies. They just don't uh, understand Alex. Yeah, they don't, they don't understand. understand the plight of a fan <laughs> like this, right? <laughs> What's funny is like these three movies of Dimension is like the same amount as the Godzilla thing on sale, pretty much. Yeah, is there a lot of cool bonus features? Yeah, it's and, got like cool. cool it's got materials. a really nice booklet inside. The case is like awesome. Yeah, and then. Uh, each of the DVDs has their own, or Blu-rays has their own uh, DVD case in it, inside it as well. That's and cool. And so it's just got, it, it's really well done. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Now, I, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm guessing, how are the subtitle qualities on yours? They're Do you good. think they're okay? I didn't have any problem. Why, why were, was yours uh, iffy? Well, yeah. <laughs> 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 so we only maybe watched like half the same movie. Uh, <laughs> oh, really? No, I'm just kidding. I, I think oh. it was fine overall. But if there's any differences in like our most memorable line, that may be why. <laughs> oh, really? Like like bad translation? Uh, well, a couple times. A couple oh, see times. that there. I unless I overlooked it, I didn't see a, any a single bad translation on mine. And you pick up on those things. You pick up on those. Yeah, that stuff really grinds it's, my gears. I mean, it's really. 
it's your deep knowledge of Japanese that really just, you know. Exactly. Like, I'm like, just let me do it. Yeah. I'll get the right wording in there. Don't, exactly. don't ask me why these Japanese characters talk about Marvel movies in the 60s all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's the time machine is did. strong like the Hulk. <laughs> uh, all right, Alex. Let's get into this thing. I'm, I'm really curious to hear what you think. So you ready? Yes. All right, let's do it. As the first of a trilogy, all filmed and released in 1966, but with different directors, Diamond sets the stage with the tale set in feudal Japan and brimming with samurais and lords conquering and revenge. But were you surprised by the lack of the Majin in Daimajin? Or had you settled into this film's pacing before its climactic end? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, w- I was quite a bit surprised by how long it took to get to the Majin in Daimajin. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's the last 15 minutes, literally. It is. It is yeah. the last 15 minutes. I was surprised. I thought he would be, I thought he would make an appearance, go away and come back or something yeah. like that. Or like before, a flashback before I saw the or something, movie. you know? Yeah. I expected him to be in it a lot more. Um, that being said, though, it, I don't think it was necessarily a bad thing. Uh, I really liked the mystery around the Daimajin, and mm-hmm. I did really like the typical tyrant ruler story that is prevalent in like every samurai and western film ever. Yeah. Um, but I, I always like that. You know, that's always a fun, semi relatable thing. Not 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 to this extent, but you know, we all know that person that. <laughs> <laughs> we all know that guy. Yeah, you we know, all know that guy. Em- we all know the feudal emperor guy. You know, <laughs> exactly. We all know that guy who killed our sensei and <laughs> or our lord. And mm-hmm. uh, we've had to fight back with a giant ghost monster thing. Um, now, are, are there problems with the film? Yeah. Um, but I'll touch on those more in a bit. But there there are some really refreshing aspects in this film. Yeah. Um, the first thing that really caught my eye was this film's emphasis on camera work. Mm. The camera is really dynamic. And it feels like compared to a lot of movies, like even now, that you know these a lot of modern movies are really static sometimes. And it also it probably doesn't help that these sets are really well crafted <laughs> as well. Yeah, it's I mean, really, the whole film is pretty well constructed visually. No, I, I'm right with you. Uh, I mean, it helps that they have this director. I, I am impressed. Uh, I, I hope we see some of the similar camera work, but it is different directors in each of these three films. But I do hope we see some of that uh, similar vision that we see in this film and the others, uh, because that was really interesting. Definitely more dynamic than a lot of films, even the Godzilla films um, oh, yeah. of this time, for sure. Um, but, you know, it has been a while since we've covered a Japanese monster movie. So getting back on this wavelength took me a minute. Um, And as I think about it, this movie, though, is quite unique compared to the monster movies we've watched from Toho and Dai in the past because it does reach back to the past and brings those distinct elements to the screen. But I kind of find myself going back and forth on this one because while I love the film conceptually it occasionally lacked the execution that could have made it even more compelling. 
conceptually, I think this film hits all the right notes for me. I mean, you've got an ancient sleeping god who gets revenge on a cruel and manipulative warlord who has disrespected that god, the land, and the people. Yes, this is quite a Japanese movie, Alex, but I love that aspect, you know? We also just haven't seen a giant monster movie from this time period um, that focuses on that time period. Unfortunately, I also think that's the film's weakness. You mentioned it before, um, that it does feel like this kind of prototypical story (laughs) uh, that we've seen in plenty of movies before. I I would have liked to have seen it be more brutal and unrelenting in its feudal aspects with characters that felt more fully fleshed out and a little bit less mechanical. It hits all the types of all the beats of this type of movie, but unfortunately it just hits all the beats of the movie uh, and doesn't do much development. So when I think about similar films around this time period, I think of Kurosawa's Yojimbo, which is amazing. I think of the Zatoichi films, which are just unique. And then shortly after Um, About five years later, you had Lone Wolf and Cub, which is also awesome. But what makes these films stand out are the human characters. What makes Daimajin stand out is Daimajin. Do you agree? (laughs) Yeah, I I can agree with this. Um, And while it does have like the samurai, I would say that this is definitely not a samurai film. No, And, And I'm not saying that you're saying that. Yeah. Uh, I'm just saying that from my own observation, like even the sword fighting choreography, it just, it's not good. No, it's not. (laughs) It's not. Um, Which is actually, it's kind of forgivable seeing Mm -hmm. that this is more of a tonal movie that is focused on like this mystery on the mountain and this evil villain. Yeah. Um, So I I can kind of forgive it for that. Uh, But I actually do. I actually think the movie is pretty brutal. Uh, Mm. I'm, like, I'm not. I don't know if you're saying that it's not brutal, but maybe not brutal enough. Yeah. Um, but I actually like how brutal it is. They they were willing to kill some characters in some pretty unceremonious ways at times mm-hmm. that I really liked, and it, I think it actually does feel oppressive. You make a good point about the characters. This could have been even more oppressive and even more brutal if we cared about these characters more. Yeah. Uh, because. We, we're kind of, and maybe that's where the pacing comes in. Maybe I just mm-hmm. did not care enough about them in the quieter moments that it just kind of made those moments feel a little more hollow and empty. But tonally, you know, I mentioned that oppressive feeling. That's where the film really gets the highest marks for me. Yeah. Um, of course, that's not all that was good, though. The presence of, Dim- of Dimension is excellent. And while, yes, his scale does change almost scene to scene, in the film, <laughs> yeah. I still think it's executed really well. And I like the moving human eyes behind the unmoving face. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> it almost feels like a man trapped inside of this mm-hmm. thing, in a mm-hmm. way. Um, but his kill of that main bad guy is so <laughs> brutal and awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> he takes that nail out and impales him. I really liked it. And it even everything with this monster is good. Oh, absolutely. I think I'll get to him in just a second because everything with the monster is awesome. And I'm right with you. I give a lot of praise to this film for how it manages the tone. 
If a Kube score helps a lot, though I must say I actually prefer the quieter moments of the score more than the heavier over-the-top ones that we've grown accustomed to. It's that subtlety, though, when it happens, that makes some of those transition moments thoughtful and some of the monster moments horrifying. And that horror-like element isn't just with the monsters. It starts right at the beginning of the film with the way, as you mentioned before, how the camera is not static. It's dynamic. It moves, and and we get that fog. And because we have that moving camera, it creates that horror-like element. Um, So I was definitely jiving with the film's tone, but I'm I'm with you. The characters, again, if they felt more fully fleshed out, you would care even more about the story. But because they're not, I didn't care as much about the story as I wish I did. Right. Right. Yeah. This, this is a film, despite having the pacing issue, I wish was longer. Yeah. Uh, and it, actually, you know, what? I don't even know if it needed to be longer. I think we just needed maybe a little better writing with the characters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that probably would have punched it up a bit, but I mentioned it earlier, but I, I do want to mention it again, because I do think it is so important for this film is that the tone is just, it's pretty, pretty solid throughout. And it's perfectly set up by that opening scene where that mm-hmm. camera is slowly rolling through that fog, um, that foggy scene that it's just, I just, it, first off, like it, it, right, right out the gate, it feels like a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also it just made me really appreciate the craft that goes into these sets. Uh, and it kind of makes me long for that more often than getting these green screens that they do miss that, that kind of feel to them. Uh, but that was great. But again, that being said, this is a 79 minute movie that feels a lot, uh, not a lot, but a good bit longer. It's just not paced very well. This was, this was a tougher watch for me than any of the Evangelion films and really Mm -hmm. anything that we've seen lately. Um, but I think it really, when it all comes to a head, it just really suffers towards the last probably 10 minutes that we're building up to the Daimajin stuff, Mm -hmm. uh, to Shinobu getting killed. Like we're building up to that and it's just, it feels a little empty. And so while we're waiting for that, it it did lose me. And I, I do think it really picks up when old licorice teeth gets murdered. In, the, in that great scene where she takes more sword slices than any samurai before her. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, it's awesome. It's a really good scene. The, the way that whole thing plays out is just so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does en- affect my enjoyment pretty seriously on that front. I, I agree with you. I, I think especially the middle plot pieces, I think we get a little bogged down because they feel so procedural. Um they feel like the beats, as I said before, like the beats that need to happen just happen, but not much else. Um, I think the last 30 minutes of this film, though, are great. And there are a few standout scenes that happen before the standout scene of Daimajin. First, as you were just mentioning, you get the scene of Shinobu's last stand, which is so full of tension as she brings those curses of the gods down, not just on the specific warlord, but on those that disrespect the order of the gods. Um, also you get Kozaza's appeal to Majin that felt elegaic and Abrahamic in its self-sacrificial mode, maybe a little too suicidal for my taste, (laughs) but I appreciate the sacrifice that she was willing to to make. And yeah, we've, we've talked about it, but 
I, I can't praise it enough. Those last 15 minutes where finally Damogen appears, that lives up to its promise. There's just something methodical and mechanical about how Damogen rips through the ranks. Um, it feels more terrifying than if it had been an animated and lively sort of figure. It's just so precise. Yeah. Um, and you've got to love those other elements where the soldiers close the gate on him and then he appears on the other side. We haven't <laughs> seen that sort of supernatural giant monster in other films that we've watched. And that makes him more of a threat. And then what I loved, and this is this is a piece that really made me appreciate what this film was doing. What I loved was how Daimogen wasn't going to stop. Yes. He wasn't done when he destroyed the, the Lord. He was going after the village as well. And the prince, he makes that appeal. He makes that appeal. He says, the villagers have done nothing, right? Don't hurt them. They've done nothing. Well, that guess what? The problem is, is that they've done nothing. <laughs> yeah. right? And they let this injustice go by and they lost their fear of the gods. They had done nothing. And that was the problem. <laughs> only a child could stop it, right? Only a child could stop it because that was the only true innocence in the film. Oh, that's a great point, Eric. I didn't even think about it like that. Yeah, I thought it was awesome. I was like, that. it's not oh. my most memorable line, but I, I, I really loved uh, that piece of commentary at the end um, because they had, you know, like you had Shinobu earlier on who had talked about, you know, there are rumors of people that would rise up against the Lord. Mm-hmm. But guess what? None of them did. There were only a couple that that even thought about the, the concept. Yes. Um, so, yeah, they just let this happen. They let it happen. Uh, and so Diamondjin was just about to punish them all. <laughs> oh, it was so... Which yeah. is really cool. And, yeah, man, those those shots of Diamondjin, um are awesome. Yeah, they really are. <laughs> well, um, MVM Plus today, Alex, we talk a little bit of everything. Uh, we talk uh, Shang-Chi. Uh, we talk Shaun the Sheep. We talk <laughs> <laughs> We talk Stardew Valley some more. We talk uh, other movies you've seen, The Suicide Squad. You've seen a lot of movies, Alex. Yeah, Candyman. What? Candyman. Candyman. So we get caught up on all the movies that Alex has watched. And uh, yeah, it's a good time over there at patreon.com forward slash MVM pod. But let's get into our awards. Alex, can you give us your coolest character award? Yeah, I got to give it to Shinobu. Oh, licorice teeth. She is so cool. Uh, You know, she's steadfast in her belief. She tries to play it cool, even like when things are really horrible. And then when she, it, she's kind of at her wits end and she's dying, she's like, screw it. I'm taking them all down with me. <laughs> and then she takes more strikes than anyone else. Yeah. And, you know, you start to wonder, like, how many more can she take? And she's just so awesome. Like, she, go, she goes down swinging. Oh, man. No, Shinobi was honestly... She'll come back in our awards, I'm sure. But um, I am going to go with the coolest character, Daimogen. <laughs> uh, specifically, I really love the chisel detail of the fact that we get that chisel. First of all, the scene where he starts bleeding, the statue starts bleeding is awesome. Yeah, uh, Like, that's so cool. What a great image. Uh, <laughs> 
I love that image. Me too. But but then the fact that it stays there even after Diamond is revealed, uh, and it's just sticking in his head the entire time he's destroying the village is awesome. Or the entire time he's destroying the castle is awesome. And then of course he pulls it out of the head to uh, finish off Samanosuke, I think it is. Yeah, Samanosuke. Um, in just an absolutely brutal fashion. Like that was that was brutal. Um, so I, I love Daimajin. Um, I am excited to see how he's used in the next two films because the pieces that he was in here were awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I am. That's what I'm really mostly intrigued by, you know, after learning that these are all filmed at the same time, it is clear that there's going to be different visions for what he is doing, what he's kind of representing a little bit. And his power set is probably going to be different too. I mean, the Godzilla films couldn't even agree on what he could do from movie yeah. to movie. Yeah. So I'll be yeah. interested to see what differences there are. Um, what's your most memorable line award? Um, so it, it would have been the line about the villagers have done nothing, but I also liked Kozaza and I wanted to, to focus on her for a second. You know, she's the princess who is willing to sacrifice herself. And she has this line, at least in my, <laughs> in my subtitles, it's like, what must I do to appeal to you to ask for your help? If I offer my life, um, I don't know. There's just something about that pleading that I find intriguing. Uh, it's like that, that prayer when you don't believe it's going to happen, that mm. makes it more sincere. Um, in a sense, yeah. it reminds me of the praying priestess in Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla um, and the song oh. that she sings. We don't quite get a song here, unfortunately, but <laughs> <laughs> but we do get this appeal. Um, and, and so I really liked that appeal uh, to the God. Really interesting. Yeah. How yeah. about you? Uh, mine had to be uh, a line from Shinobu. Uh, she says, make light of him if you dare. I'm like, oh, that's so she she's all getting all fired up, ready ready to make some curses. <laughs> no, I I just like it. Like honestly, this film is it, it felt pretty sparse with good lines. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. Um, but I did I did like that one because again, there's that ominous feeling pervading through the film, and that's one where it's like, oh yeah, it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen soon. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe. <laughs> uh, what about the Can't Believe That Acting Award, Alex? Uh, mine's going to be the actor of Samanasuke, uh, Ryutaro Gomi. Um, he, I think he was a really good bad guy, especially when he's demanding refills for his drink. <laughs> um, I, th- I think he does a good job, and he sells me on the uh, <laughs> being carried by the Daimajin. Mm-hmm. Very true. Um, Especially when he's in puppet form and you just see his arms wiggling around. (laughs) But I really do think he does a good job and he does come off as a scumbag and all that. So I I actually did like him as the bad guy. Yeah, that's that's a great choice. Um, But I've got to go with who you've mentioned already, Alex, in our previous two awards. So now she's entering the third award and that is Atomi... Sukimiya as Shinobu, the high priestess, if you yes. will. She is just fantastic. And I know we called her, uh, what did you call her earlier? 
licorice, licorice teeth, licorice teeth, <laughs> all licorice teeth. But she, she really was throughout a standout performance in a, a movie where there weren't many standout performances. I, I do think that was another critique that I would have. And maybe that goes into the characterization. Maybe if they were written better, I would have appreciated the performances more, but she was the only one that really stood out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in, you know, Godzilla films, there's always that one or two characters that are just larger than life that are so memorable. We didn't get that here except for maybe her, maybe the bad guy. Um, I thought he was a bit generic for me. No, uh, I mean, he was, he was. Yeah. Besides like, like that was major, really my major issue um, with the exception of her. Uh, and maybe one of the things that did make her stand out was the licorice teeth. Let's be yeah, honest. <laughs> it's haunting. It made some of those other scenes even more scary. Um, <laughs> what about your standout effect award? Well, let's just keep the train rolling with Shinobu. Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's had a, I think she's probably going to have a spot on every single award gonna, somewhere. Is she going to sweep these awards? Ooh, she might. She um, is. I don't think that's ever happened before. She, she, she's the return. Uh, she's the return of the king uh-huh. of uh, awards. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's her death scene actually, which could have been my oh that's a good shot award coming up. Mm-hmm. But I just really specifically like how the scene darkens and how the director uses lighting to create that silhouette of Shinobu. Um, it's, it's really interesting how, how it's done. Um, and it stands out as you, as you mentioned, the camera's not afraid to do some interesting things here. And I'm also glad that they were able to just kind of experiment with the lighting in that moment in a scene that hadn't experimented with lighting. So it's really jarring at first, um, but you know, it has significance at that moment because of how jarring it is that again, the tonal aspect of this film, you have to compliment the tone for what it does and for what it accomplishes. Yes, definitely. Uh, my, mine's got to be the, uh, the spike to the Daimajin head. You know, you're mentioning the, the blood, the blood. coming out when they do yeah. it. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. <laughs> I didn't expect it. Like I, I, I thought he might wake up in that yeah, moment. Me too. Uh, but I did not expect blood to start. The blood coming was out. awesome. That's such a great little touch, right? Like that feels something, it feels like something unholy, you know? Yes. Like, you, you feel like them in that moment. Like, oh, like, oh <laughs> this is not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was awesome. It was yeah. awesome. And, and Eric, you kind of already touched on my, oh, that's a good shot award as well. Okay. I was going to go with that whole scene where the light darkens and it's like, feels very dramatic, fittingly dramatic. Yeah. Um, I think it works so well. And, I mean, I've already mentioned this other one, so I'll just go ahead and give it a runner-up since I've already talked about it anyway. But uh, the beginning scene where it has that the camera is moving and it's yeah. rolling through the fog and we're just getting the whole scene set up. It sets up the tone perfectly. Yeah. Uh, those are two fantastic shots. Yeah, and, and as you said, Alex, the camera is great. Another thing that makes the camera and that aids the camera it's just the landscape of this film. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a shot at the beginning, towards the beginning of the film, I, after the prince and princess have escaped um, with Shinobu, or they're heading towards Shinobu, I think, if I remember correctly, there's this waterfall shot. There's a couple waterfalls in this movie, but there's a long shot of them passing across this waterfall. And Ifukube's score right there is also just kind of subtly menacing 
it's just this really interesting tone as they head to this uh, holy site where they are going to live for the next 10 years. It, it set up this contrast, really, because you get the characters in the foreground and they just look really small compared to the waterfall in the background. You contrast that with the ending shots of Dimogen as well, which I think they did a great job of perspective. Yeah, he does change sizes a couple times, but I love how in most of the shots with Dimogen that you actually see Dimogen, you also get that foreground um, that shows the perspective and the background. So he really does feel menacing. The same technique is used in that waterfall shot as in the Dimogen shot later on um, to show the contrast between uh, the, the monster and the human. So for me, it's the waterfall shot that I was really impressed by, but it could have, it might as well have been the Dimogen shots at the end that demonstrated that perspective. Yeah. Mm. That's good. So <laughs> Eric, that brings us to our rating and ranking. Yes. Um, what, where, where's this rank for you among the Dimension movies? <laughs> this ranks, this ranks the top of the Dimension films, um, <laughs> that I've seen. So, uh, yeah, okay. it, it, it's, it's the number one. It's number one. What can I say? Uh, <laughs> but as I said in our discussion, Dimension has all the makings of a monster movie class act, um, conceptually, but it occasionally falters with execution. Uh, the feudal elements are unique elements to this film because we don't see those sorts of elements in most of the monster films that we've encountered. But ultimately, those same feudal elements lack the quality that I've seen in other films around the same time um, that do touch on these elements. However, the last 15 minutes really make this memorable and special for me. I found myself completely engaged by the ending. You're right. It does get boring in the middle half. Let's just be honest. But um, and I think an aspect of that is, is us as modern audiences. I think we found ourselves waiting and waiting for Majin's arrival because we knew he would show up eventually. However, mm. I think the appeal throughout for Majin to use its power would have been even more powerful on, a, on the original intended audience that didn't have those same sort of expectations that we might have had going in hmm. uh, they they knew they knew that Majin would show up i would imagine but like they didn't know i i doubt they would know the same sort of appeal that Majin had like we're watching this film uh you know 50 years plus past the time when it was released so we're like oh yeah Dimogen classic we're gonna get so much Dimogen in this movie we've heard a lot about it they didn't have those expectations and so the emphasis is placed on the anticipation to get to Dimogen. Uh, so I think we have to give it some leeway there. With that said, I'm going to give this film, oh man, Ooh. <laughs> I'm going to give it a 3.5 out of 5. I'm going to okay. give it a 3.5 out of 5. I do have some issues with it. I really like it. A 3.5 out of 5 for me is something that I really like, um, but I have some reservations about. So what about you, man? Yeah, uh, you know, I think almost everything you said, I'm in agreement with. It's really the the, the boring portion in the middle really hurts it for me. Um, and I think it even does so more after coming off several movies that I couldn't get enough of, quite uh -huh. frankly. Yeah. Um, and then here I am in the middle, like I have to pause it and be like, how much is left? <laughs> <laughs> um, but that being said, 
I'm glad I stuck it through because those yeah. final 15 minutes make it all worth it. I would even say the final 20 minutes. I agree. Like that Shinobu like stuff. Yeah, exactly. Shinobu stuff, the appeal, um, all of that is great. The last 25 minutes are awesome. Yeah, it really finds its stride because it, it does manage its tone pretty well throughout. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just it's character mismanagement. Yeah. Uh, actually, it's not even mismanagement; just management. They didn't do really do much at all, except yeah. for have Shinobu have some good stuff. Um, that is really what hurts the movie for me. I did enjoy it. I liked a lot of the camera work. Actually, the camera work is kind of what's one of the most redeeming qualities. That and the tone, yeah, more than even maybe Majin for me because I'm glad that we got that, but. I'm glad we got someone experimenting with that camera a little bit. We haven't seen that a lot. Yeah. Uh, And it's clear that they were wanting to do something unique. And, uh, and, and the, this film is unique in some ways and generic in others. That being said though, I did like it. Um, And I would recommend it to people. And I'll give it a, I think I'm with you, Eric. Mm -hmm. I'll give it a 3.5. I was thinking maybe a three. Mm-hmm. But I think your comments on why Domagen was continued to kill yeah. have elevated it in my mind. I really like that perspective. Yeah. And so that that gives it a 3.5 for me. <laughs> well, cool. Yeah. Now, I think I was teetering between a 4 and a 3.5. Um, but I, I, I think a 3.5 is fair. I do. I think when you look at films from the same time period and some of the other films we've watched, I do think it. I think I do think execution-wise with some of the characters, it just falls flat a little bit. Um, but yeah, three point five is still good in my book. You know what this film needed? Huh? It needed the turtle Toho's Batman. Did it need a camera? No, it needed Toho's Batman. Oh, it did. Yes, it did. You're right. You're right. The turtle. It needed. It needed something like that to kind of liven things up. You are, you are so you're so right. Definitely um, wouldn't have affected its oppressive atmosphere at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, <laughs> and that's hard. And that is the hard aspect. Is like this is a tonal film versus maybe a character driven film. But I think you can do both. Um, yes. I think you can do both, and I think you can do it well. So that's why I would give it. A 3.5 out of 5. I described this to a student today because I told him I was podcasting, Alex. And oh, yeah? <laughs> uh, I told her that I was podcasting. He's like, what are you What are you guys doing after school? She's talking to me and, and uh, my student teacher. And I was like, oh, you, you want to know what I'm doing? I'm, I'm recording a podcast. Over what movie? Diamogen. Well, what the heck is Diamogen? Well, let me tell you about it. <laughs> Ten minutes later. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yeah. Just because... <laughs> I, I just was kind of going over the top with it a little bit, trying to like intrigue her a little bit. I don't yeah. think she wanted that much information, but <laughs> I gave it to her. And I think I intrigued her a little bit with some of the horror aspects of this film. Um, and I did, I mentioned that, that I even mentioned that, that part about the, uh, the villagers, how <laughs> the villagers had done nothing. And she thought that was really interesting. That's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I, I doubt she'll ever watch it, but I told her it was on archive.org. You can watch it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> it's only 70 minutes longer than this explanation I gave you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, actually, her exact comments was, oh, this must be a really long movie. 
I was like, no, this is just a long explanation. <laughs> <laughs> it's only 80 minutes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wait until you hear Eric's dis- dissertation on Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good stuff. Well, did you come up with a rhyme for Return of Dungeon, Alex? Now creative, that I know creative title for a sequel. I didn't know that was the name. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, ooh. Uh, I'm trying not to use words I know I've used before. Yes, so, that's inevitable right. at this so, point, Alex. So, on episode like 112 or something. Um, okay, so is, is Dimension's Return have more in common with a beautiful fern <laughs> or are we really going to start feeling the churn oh man i can't believe you didn't use any of my words alex <laughs> i tried so hard not to use burn oh uh, well, well now you just took mine when, <laughs> when damagen returns will there be returns will there be any twisting turns or will we see more monster burns i did oh. like i did like those fire shots um yes again some of the set design especially at the beginning and at the end were awesome um i did like that scene at the beginning we didn't mention it uh of the fire when they kind of uh had to escape i'm not sure how they escaped but yeah that's a great effect yeah (laughs) but they're just better than i guess the other people yeah exactly (laughs) they're just really good yeah um but yeah, man, I'm excited actually for Return of Diamond just because I'm interested in what they do with this character. Yeah, yeah, I am too. I am too. Uh, I can't Which wait. I might not have said about 45 minutes into this film. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I'll be interested to see. Yeah, well, next week. As always, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MVM underscore pod. You can email us, mvmpod at gmail.com, or leave us feedback at mvmpod.com. Support us over on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash mvmpod and receive weekly bonus off-the-cuff episodes. And if you feel so led, leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews really help. Monsters vs. Men is produced by Alex Cornett. Executive producers are Faye Basier and Michael Herndon. Special thanks to our wives, comma, Rock Band for PlayStation 3, Senior Honda, Drew the Collector, our Instagram connector, and you, the listener, for listening. Until next week, try, try to, to stay, stay alive. subtitle qualities on yours do you think they're okay i didn't have any problem why why was yours uh iffy well yeah (laughs) (laughs) so we only maybe watched like half the same movie uh (laughs) 